So Money Episode 358, Bing Chen. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer made customizable templates to choose from the drag and drop editor and even video backgrounds. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Millennial Week continues, and today I have a digital media pioneer and entrepreneur, and he's not even 30 yet. Bing Chen was featured in Forbes 30 Under 30 back in 2014 in the Hollywood and entertainment category. Now, Bing has quite the resume. He was once YouTube's global head of creator development and management where he spearheaded most of the platform's early major acquisitions, development, and promotional services for its now 300 million, 300 million creative artists globally. Can you believe YouTube has 300 million creative artists? Today, he's the co-founder of Victorious, a new media passion platform and new media content producer. I'm not really sure what that means. So I asked him about that. He goes into a deep dive about what he's working on today and why it's going to change the world. And we go back in time. You know, being, you can tell right off the bat, he is hardwired differently. So I want to know, what did he want to be when he was younger? Growing up, who was his role model? And you're going to be surprised to hear what he had to say. Also, we talk about, had to, the future of social media with the expert in the house. I mean, does YouTube have what it takes to remain the number one video platform? And then getting hired by Google, I had to ask, what was that interview process like? Because you hear all sorts of stories about the difficulty of getting jobs at big places like that. Well, he takes us behind the scenes. You want to hear this story. Here we go. Here is Bing Chen. Bing Chen, welcome to So Money, my So Money Millennial. My So Money Millennials, how are you today? So money. Uh, feeling so money. <laughs> I have to say, listeners, I found some of these So Money Millennials on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Congratulations, Bing, for making the 30 Under 30 list. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. My mother is still very proud. Okay, you got to stop calling me ma'am. <laughs> I'm from Tennessee. It's a bad habit. It's okay. a bad good habit. Maybe milady. <laughs> well, if you were British, I'd say Madame, but that, that would get real awkward. <laughs> or French, right? Or Mademoiselle, yeah, exactly. right? Um, how does it feel to get that designation? I never had a, I never got thirty under thirty. I'm, I'm waiting for like forty under forty, maybe. No, all um, good. We should never date a lady. That's why. 
<laughs> but I, how does it how does it feel to have Forbes recognize you as a thirty under thirty? Yeah, I mean, it's usually it's usually two reactions. I think one is, of course, there's incredible prestige. I mean, it is the sort of veritable business list to be on, you know, regardless of what age you're on. So, so incredible, you know, it's just incredible honor. But I'd say, to be honest, the bigger sensation most of us feel is is a greater hunger. Um, I think a lot of us feel like, and, and this is partly imposter syndrome, partly just the ambition that a we didn't deserve it. B, there are more people that we built great things with that are also deserving. And C is it just gives you this hunger and this greater fire to do even more. And so I'd say if anything, it was really just a motivation that we have come very far, but not nearly far enough for what we're doing. A lot of pressure, right? Because (laughs) you want to live up to the title. Exactly, exactly. And go beyond. I mean, candidly, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there is no award for Martin Luther King Jr. civil rights movement. There is no award for Gandhi. There's no award for Mother Teresa. So if you do something truly transcendent, which I think is, is really the goal among a lot of us, this is almost a stepping stone as opposed to the end state. You were selected as a 30 under 30 in the Hollywood and entertainment category. The beautiful people. Yes. Tell me a little bit about <laughs> what you do, Bing, because it's I feel like you invented what you're doing. Like you, you know what I mean? Like a lot of us graduate from college and we become, you know, rank and file, but you, I feel like you've been very entrepreneurial and very inventive as far as where your career has taken you in the world of media and social media. Tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe where you are now and how you got to where you are. I understand you're starting a company called Victorious. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Milady. Uh, says, says the man, my lady. Um, no, I think, um, and, and I know you'll get to this in a bit, but, uh, I've, I've effectively wanted to be the next Walt Disney since I was 12. And, um, the reason why is twofold. One is I think the single greatest human created and human controlled problem in the universe is self-actualization and projection. In other words, how do you become the person you're meant to be faster, more deeply, the meaning of life. Right. Um, and there are a multitude of ways to do this, but I think the best way is you create environments where people can sort of emotionally elevate themselves and realize their ambitions. Example, how do you have the most incredible first date at the most incredible appropriate restaurant? Uh, how do you play the right movie or soundtrack so that it motivates that kid whose parents have never gone to college to apply for college for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that was always the dream. Um, so I interned at Disney twice when I was uh, in, in college. Uh, my last project actually at Disney was a movie that became Frozen, uh, which was pretty exciting. Uh, oh, I've to heard of Frozen. There you go. Yeah, we can uh, we can build a snowman one day in New York. I would love uh, to. We're gonna have go. snow this weekend. Oh, sweet! Then you'll get a head start on me. Mm-hmm. I expect I expect you to be a pro by the time I get there. Then. Um, but, uh, but that was always the ambition. And um, during the economic sort of downturn, 2008, 2009, I started to sort of portend, as we all do, what the future of media looked like. And it was clear that it was not going to belong to sort of walled studio gardens where regardless of who you look like and so forth, it was so hard to get financing, distribution, et cetera. Instead, it felt like media was going to belong to the catalytic platforms that, as I like to say, would enable the children to create their sandcastles but provide the greatest grains of sand and tools. And at the time, there was no platform doing this better than YouTube. Um, now, to be clear, YouTube was total shit. Um, can, I, can I curse on this show or is that, is that not Yeah, right? I, I will allow that. I will okay. allow that four-letter word. It's Tennessee. I swear it's Tennessee. Um, 
No, but it, it was total shit, right? It was it was a bunch of animals on skateboards and pianos and et cetera. But the promise was there, right? Democratize creation, democratize distribution. Um, and so I applied on a whim to, to YouTube and, and, you know, without many others, used various sensibilities that we thought were defining media. So, you know, the notion that niche voices, whether you're Asian or you're the African diaspora, or you're LGBT, et cetera, that you suddenly could have a prominent voice despite being neglected by television and film. Uh, the notion that you could have an immediate global stage, you know, so forth and so on. So effectively over the course of five to six years, we built up what is now known as the multi-billion dollar creator ecosystem uh, online. Um, these, uh, these people over the course of six years, five years have created or made YouTube into the largest cable TV network. Um, they monetize like crazy. Many of them make, you know, nine, excuse me, eight figure incomes every single year just by uploading their creativity to the world. Uh, qualitatively, these internet born celebrities are the new traditional media celebrities. So if you look at, you know, who inspires U.S. teens, many of them trump even the Taylor Swifts of the world. Uh, and wow. finally, you know, yeah, and finally, which is crazy because it's sort of like a weird niche, right? Um, but such is the world on, on the internet. Uh, and finally, I think most inspiringly, they've ushered in this whole new industry of creative that looks, sounds, and is produced fundamentally differently. Um, so that, that that's like the long, short story. Um, but uh, the, the the way it started at YouTube, I'll, I'll give you this for two seconds. Um, basically, three of us got in a room and we're like, what does the future of media look like? And, and really, what does the future of Walt Disney Company look like? Um, and uh, we created this deck of 10 ideas. It included everything from a studio space to an award show to gold play buttons to a YouTube interview university to an incubator um, and ourselves and many others effectively built up all those programs within three years. Um, so it was an incredible ride, learned a ton. Um, and a lot of that sensibility goes into my current ventures, whether it's Victorious, my technology platform, uh, or a lot of my nascent content creative efforts. That was a lot of talking. I'm so sorry. Okay. You talk really fast, but I, I'm following you. <laughs> I've never met you, but I can tell through the audio waves that you are hardwired a lot differently than most people. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I mean that positively. You're, you talk fast, you move fast in terms of like your, your, just, your career has just gone so amazingly and I feel like in such a short period of time and now you've ventured out on your own, you've left YouTube. Take me back to young little Bing Chen. Like who, <laughs> who was Bing Chen as a kid? I mean, most kids, I wanted to be a waitress. You wanted to be Walt Disney. So there goes, that's the difference between you and me. Um, <laughs> we both, we both serve something. So, this, so there, <laughs> we both there, wanted there, to there. serve. Yeah. So, we both wanted to help people. There you go. But um, tell me a little about your influences growing up. And were you always that kid? Um, <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I, so I guess. Kind of. Um, I, uh, I owe it to my parents. My parents both tried to have children for a decade. Um, they, uh, they were married for a decade. And uh, my mother you know, had three different surgeries to overshare. My father had two and, and just failed over and over and over again to the point where my mom, when she was 36, was going to just adopt children uh, in Tennessee and then told she couldn't because my father was too old. So I have two parents who tried and wanted kids more than anything else. And on the 10th year, you know, had their first and then, you know, their second later. So my parents not only wanted children very badly, which means they're going to invest very badly. They also both came from nothing. So my parents, like literally my father's house for he, for he and his seven siblings in Taipei is smaller than my condo in San Francisco. Right. And, and my San Francisco condo is just for me. So they came from nothing. 
And both of them are in so many ways the American dream. My father became chief financial officer of Philips Electronics, um, both for North America and then Asia. My mother was at one point the highest paid woman in Knoxville, Tennessee, despite being a person of color and having English be her second language. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So I get a lot of my ambition, I guess, my wholesomeness and so forth from them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, since I was three, actually, my, my dream was to be president of the United States. Uh, I wanted to be the first Asian president oh, of the United wow. States. Not not for the power or the vanity. Um, it was really because I just wanted to help elevate people. And naturally, when you're small and naive, the the highest form of office is the highest form of influence. And so I said, president. So when I was in third grade, for instance, I read every single third grade level book of every single president. Uh, discovered very quickly that all the best presidents get assassinated, which scares me. Uh, and so I, and this is honest truth. And so that's why I moved over to the Walt Disney because I realized what moved me were the beauty and the beast, the toy stories, you know, et cetera. Um, I think the other thing that sort of moved me is, 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 and this is because of my parents, is just being exposed to so many different worlds and having an appreciation for how small, you know, we all really are. Um, and so while I was born and raised in Tennessee, I spent my formative teenage years in Shanghai, uh, this is during sort of the transformation period of China in t- 1997 to 2001. So during the handoff of Hong Kong, during the industrial sort of second revolution in Shanghai, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That can open a child's eyes very, very quickly uh, in ways that I think kids these days take very much for granted. Um, and then finally, I spent my you know late teenagers in Orange County, which is why I unfortunately sound this way. Um, and, you know, just having that disparate experience, you know, again, really, really opens your eyes. Um, it, it scales an ambition. It also scales your, your appreciation and desire to understand all of humanity. Um, and I've just tried to translate that to everything I do. Um, Can I ask you, because you're such a futurist, you're, you, I feel like you have a crystal ball that a lot of us don't have or see through. <laughs> or think I do, or I'm full of BS. Who knows? Maybe. Well, either way, answer this. What is the future of social media and is YouTube going to still remain? You think it has the ability to remain as the main plot? It's like the number two website, right, for search right now, um, right. and let alone the number one video platform. Right. Um, do you think it has the ability to sustain that, or do you think that there is definitely some room in the market for competitors? Yeah. So, so the, the future of social media, as you know, is, is a very broad question. The, the element that I'm most interested in is the rise of this need for humanism. And so being able to make you know, social media a vehicle for us to connect more thoughtfully and accurately. This is where artificial intelligence, virtual reality that effectively you know, takes artificial realities and makes them into real realities becomes interesting. Um, I think on YouTube, um, a YouTube, we're already seeing this, will not be the 800-pound video gorilla forever. I also think there's, though, a nuance of how we define that 800-pound gorilla. If you're going to find it as where which platform is getting the most uploads of video content, it will take a very long time for someone to build you know, a competitor to YouTube. But if we talk about qualitative content prestige, Netflix is winning that right now online, right? If we talk about time spent, there are also others that are winning that. If we talk about, let's say, popcorn content or music content, suddenly others can start to rise there too. So I, you know, I, I always say that, you know, it's not about the pie, you know, getting sliced up. It's really about the pie getting bigger. Um, and again, you can slice that bigger pie in sort of multiple ways. So long story short, not the intermountain gorilla, but depends on how you, uh, how you define it. Let's learn more about how you think financially. I'm, I'm really curious to pick your brain now and, and transition to my so many questions. And let's start with your financial philosophy, Bing. How old are you, by the way? Uh, I just turned 29, unfortunately. 
Oh, no, that's a good year. That's so old. That's so okay, old. you need to stop saying that because I'm going to discontinue this interview. If you, <laughs> All the people I work with are like 16. So <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, it, it does seem that, especially in your industry, you know, it is a young industry. Are you still making trips to the post office? Why, when you can get postage on demand? With Stamps.com, you can print your own postage at your convenience. I'm serious. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage 24-7. And I'm a huge fan myself. Stamps.com saves me time, and time is money. When mailing my books or important contracts, I can easily get postage and send out mail without rushing to my local post office during its limited hours. Head on over to stamps.com where you can sign up today. They're offering my listeners a special deal with promo code SOMONEY. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SOMONEY. That's stamps.com and enter SOMONEY. All right, let's move on to some yes, dollars and cents. What's your financial philosophy? I think it's I think it's two things. A financial sort of uh, financial behavior is about habits. It's not about end states. So I believe less in monthly budgets. I believe more in weekly habits. So you know, I try not to spend or exceed a certain threshold every single day for meals. If I do for lunch, I try to eat something less than dinner. Right. Um, so I say that's one. I say the second thing is. Finance, finance is not about earning, it's about investing. And so, um, and this is perhaps a question later, but you know, what do I like to buy? I like to buy things that I can invest in to build the next five, 10 years. I don't like, inve- I don't like earning things or earning money just to earn things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say it's, it's, it's those two. Um, the, uh, the outside of that, the overarching sort of thing that, that I wish I would have known when I was younger is that not only does money not grow on trees, you will earn everything in life that you earn. Um, and that's not just money, right? If you want something, you will have to pursue it and it will come naturally there. Lotteries do not exist in the real, real world. I feel like you knew that. I feel like little Bing had that voice in the back of his head. I mean, you were very, you were very much a self-starter. Maybe. I mean, I was also stupid when I was a kid, right? Like I, like I, I told my auntie one day, I remember when I was like five that we were, we were filthy rich because we had so many pennies in my piggy bank. So, so, you know, not, not always that smart. That's so cute. You know, I'm looking right now at a jar. I keep a glass jar in my bedroom. It's filled to the brim with coins. Nice. And I'm, I've said this multiple times on the podcast before. And so, listeners, I apologize if this is a broken record, but I love this story. I mean, I go to the freaking bank with my coin, my jar, my jar of coins, and yeah. I wait in line next to like five-year-olds and 10-year-olds. That's awesome. Who are bringing their allowance money. And you know what? Because I walk out with like a few hundred bucks. Yep. That's right. That's nice. right. It's a, I don't know. For me, it's like I, I lo- the same reason I love to go to the arcade and redeem my tickets. Yes. My what husband makes fun get? of me, but what I don't do you know. Get? Do you go for the stuffed animal or like the super soakers? I usually don't have – oh, at the arcade? Yes, ma'am. Um, right, I, play, I play skee-ball and I play right. that game where you have to hit the gr- the um, the groundhog. <laughs> is, is, that, is that to release all the Those two games often get you the most tickets. That's like the most bang for your buck. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yes. a good hack. I'm going to remember that next time I uh, steal mm-hmm. a machine. From and then a there's that game where you have to like um, – you like put in money and then – this is sort of like – 
a ridiculous game because it's basically just eating your money. But sometimes you, you like you put in the quarters and the coins like fall down. You know, oh, like, yes, like Plinko. it's like a yeah, sliding, yeah. it's like a sliding table. Yes. And yeah. um, you have to usually in, put in like five bucks before you get anything. But when you do, it's like 300 tickets. Like, yeah, make it rain. It's kind of like slots. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are the, those are the good old days. I respect that you still do that. Now I feel like I should change my evening. I mean, but- once every year in the summer when I'm at the shore, you know, but I do have the coin, the coin jar for sure. And I got to actually go redeem it soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we digress. So I love that. So it's not about earning. It's about investing. Tell me a little bit about – let's go back down memory lane again and share with me maybe a money memory that for you as an adult now, you look back and you're like, wow, that was really transformative or – you know, on some maybe not even on a subconscious level, that really taught me a lot about money as an adult. Oh, that's tough. The, the, The one that comes viscerally is when I bought my first condo. Um, and, and I think it's, it, it goes back to that enabled me to a feel like I had a mental sort of sanctuary that was a true anchor for my life. Right. It's like truly mine. Cause we, in our lives, as you know, we own very few things. Um, I think secondly is, is it helped me realize what a long-term investment really means. Uh, luckily that property has increased in value 40% over the past three and a half years in San Francisco. So all is well on that front. Um, but I'd say that probably that just because of the magnitude, just because of the impact on my psychological well-being uh, and realizing that, you know, again, money is not about money. It's really about what it enables, right? It enables peace of mind, it enables you to feel like you have more agency over your life, so forth and so on. And you travel a lot, right? Before we got on the podcast, you mentioned that you're in L.A., New York, San Francisco. What's your favorite city to visit or live in? It depends on it depends on my mood. Um, I generally like, as, as you can imagine, like Red Bull cities that are highly dense, highly accessible, where you can walk out and get access to anything uh, with people with an incredibly high level of episteme. Uh, and so that usually means New York, San Francisco, London's of the world, et cetera. Um, but you know, the Los Angeles of the world have great virtues as well. You know, they're they're nice and balanced. I, I call LA my vacation city. Um, you know, because the beach is here and it's beautiful energy, uh, a ton of creative people here who are all good natured. Uh, so it really depends on the mood. Uh, I, uh, I think I get this from my parents of, you know, Tennessee, Shanghai, OC and so forth. Uh, but I, I like being in multiple places. I don't like feeling stationary. Where's home for you? Where were you raised? Yeah. So I think most third culture kids have a tough time answering that question. I do. Uh, yeah, there, there, <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's every place is a home, right? It's one of a, I remember in 10th grade, there's this poster in my English class that said, I'm at home everywhere and nowhere. I'm never quite a stranger and yet I never quite belong. And I thought, oh my gosh, this pseudo Oscar Wilde understands me. And I think it's because, you know, my values and my heart definitely come from Tennessee. Um, you know, I'm a very human person. I, I love people. Um, it's what I care about most. Uh, my, my worldly view comes from Shanghai. There's no question. Uh, my vanity comes from Orange County. Um, and my sense of scale and ambition comes from the Bay as well as Philadelphia. Does, does Tennessee have a large Asian population? Uh, no, uh, it was us. And so we lived on the outskirts of Knoxville, which was fantastic. Whoa. Yeah. And, uh, it was basically us and a family of the African diaspora named the Harristons and everyone else was white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize I was Asian until I was 10 when we what? moved to Shanghai. You know what? Okay. Okay, um, you're on my sh- you're like let, okay. So now I feel like you're on the therapist couch here. Like, <laughs> you didn't realize you were Asian until you were ten. No, because I, you know, you did you you didn't well. speak your parents didn't speak a different language. Oh well, Mandarin was my first language. Um, uh, but you know, when you're that young, it's 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 just like it's you know. Oh, so it's, maybe you it's, didn't realize you were different. 
Correct. Is what that's you mean. Better yeah. Person. I mean, yeah, hopefully I you knew where your parents different. were from. Exactly. I never felt different uh, mm. ever uh, until I moved to Shanghai and I realized there are a billion people just like me. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh, yeah. It sucks. It, just it really get on sucks. a plane and you realize, oh, similarities exist. Exactly. It's the worst running joke. It's like, it's like, oh, you think you're one in a million. So unique. And so you go to China, which means there are a thousand people just like you. <laughs> okay, let's talk about failure because this has all been about your awesomeness, which is, uh, which is great and, and very insightful and inspiring. But tell us a little bit about maybe your biggest financial failure. And, but really the point here is I want to understand how you worked through that and the lessons learned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say I'd say a couple things. I, to be honest, I feel lucky. I haven't had any material financial losses um, in terms of strict money to money. Now, there have been losses in terms of time that I feel like I wish I could have gotten back, or things I wish I would have done earlier. Um, and that, you know, time, as you know, is the real currency or is the real finance in life. Um, but, but there really haven't been any material, you know, knock on wood, uh, financial woes yet, outside of the occasional overdraft fee. Um, I, I suppose I, I sometimes buy dumb things, but I've, you know, that's lessened as I've, you know, gotten older and matured. Uh, there was a period when I, when I got my first bonus at Google and, uh, I was, I, I was, and I'm still obsessed with the concept of time uh, and how it moves. And so bought literally like 18 different clocks. Um, you know, some of them were, you know, digital with huge blocky numbers. Others were sort of, you know, esoteric from, you know, who knows the Middle East, et cetera. Um, so, so I do splurge on those things, but generally I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well behaved. I have to ask, what was it like interviewing at Google, getting that job? I know that there are some dream companies out there that people would like to work for and Google is high, ranks very highly. Maybe it's the free food and the free massages and the, you know, the, the ability to like get your own scooter throughout the building. Um, but like, so you're very accomplished. Your resume was probably ridiculously glowing. But when you're in the interview, do you, do you recall like feeling a little intimidated or nervous? And what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to be honest, my resume didn't actually match at all what I was applying for. Um, so uh, A, as you remember, it was the height of the economic recession. So you know, at, you know, a few months later, twice as many of my peers would be unemployed as the previous year. So it was a really tough year. Um, I, uh, I did not get an interview for Google. Uh, I was a backup to a backup. Uh, and basically got called in two hours before because three people had dropped out because they already got their job offers from like a McKinsey or something. So I walk in, my major was creative writing, and I effectively interview for Marissa Meyer's executive management program, which you know largely takes business degrees, right? At least from my school. Um, and I remember I walked in the room and all my friends in Wharton, you know, who majored in or concentrated in finance and marketing, looked at me with like, what are you doing here? And I thought, I don't know either. Um, but uh, so I walk in. So that was a little that was a little bit nerve wracking because, you know, there's a there's one that is not like the others. Um, but I remember walking in and and thinking like, wow, these are the types of questions that I love and think about often. And they were effectively case studies, but they were very quirky. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, you know this well, at some point, yes, it's hard to get into Google, but really it's about fit. And it just culturally felt so right. Um I mean, in so many different capacities, the brain teasers and everything. Uh, and uh, fast forward two months, I ended up being the only person uh, from my school to get an offer into this program. Wow. Uh, despite having the uh, the most liberal arts, almost the most liberal arts major you can imagine. 
Um, so that was that. And, you know, in terms of like the Google culture, I mean, Google was amazing back then. It was, I mean, I remember one day in, you know, 2010, they increased everyone's salary by 10% plus a thousand dollar bonus plus a free phone. Now, part of that was they always do that. They always do some of that. And also part of it was, was sort of in response to some competitors trying to poach us. But I, those, those were like magical days for us, um, uh, on top of the other cosmetic things. Hmm. <sighs> Habits. Let's talk about your biggest financial habit because for someone who has made it to 29 with the occasional overdraft payment as their biggest mistake, um, what, what are the good habits that you practice that help you with your money management? Yeah, um, I, uh, I do have a monthly budget. But, um, uh, and it's sort of, you know, it's more or less stays the same in terms of my life, like livelihood. Um, but, uh, no, I think I'm just like, you know, really smart or try to be very smart rather of, you know, how I spend week to week, day to day in those habits. So, you know, I generally know how much I'm going to spend on my physical well-being. So that's food, drinks, et cetera. Uh, and then occasionally like I have a pocket for, you know, experiential stuff. So the Coachellas of the world, the burning vans of the world that I prioritize. But outside of that, I live fairly simply. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't need to accumulate a ton of stuff um, to, you know, to quote an author that I can't remember right now, you spend the first half of your life amassing, 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 and then the second half of your life giving away, giving away, giving away. Uh, I'd rather not amass too much because then I have to give away more. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think generally if, if you live simply, you know what you care about, you can weed out a lot of the noise and that just simplifies your life and simplifies your finances. That's well said. I, sh- I, I think I'm at that giving away stage in my life. Uh, it feels good though, right? It's so great. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, Bing, let's do some so money. Fill in the blanks. Yes. All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is I thought about this. Uh I would A put half of it away, B put the rest in investments, and then C buy my mom her SL fifty five in copper. Uh otherwise I'd be doing the exact same thing. Wait, what's that? Your your you buy your mom copper? Uh, I buy my mom the Mercedes SL55 in copper. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> she likes kitschy colors and needs to be a show off and always wanted a sports car and, and why not? Um, I didn't even know it could come in copper. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like $8,000 extra, but, but whatever. whatever you, know. you, got, you got the millions. You got the exactly. lottery. Exactly. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? People. Uh, there's no question. Um, and uh, it's usually time, as you know, that you invest in people, mm-hmm. but you know, Going out to dinner, getting a lot of whiskey, et cetera. That's the best use of money. You're treating me next time, right? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. One of my my biggest splurge that I love and I'm – it's a guilty pleasure but I can't get rid of it is – uh, it's either experiences or food, which may be the same thing. So <laughs> food I, is an experience these days. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I will absolutely splurge on like the Kachels, the Burning Man's set of the world because they, they set my soul on fire. Uh, the summits of the world. Um, I love, um, and, uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge foodie. I will absolutely go to talent food. Nice. Uh, One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. You're not going to believe this, but uh, I, I just I, I used to think the lotteries really existed, and and they do, as you know. But real lotteries don't exist. You earn everything that you keep. Hmm. You thought that maybe someone would. You thought the publisher's clearinghouse really did come to your house. Yeah, I I, I always was, loved. I always wanted to like win that. That was my yeah. thing. <laughs> one day, one day, one day. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Uh, I like to give uh, to things that enable, I'd say, multiples of others 
um, to be enabled themselves because it helps scale impact. Um, I also, I do donate to entities like the American Cancer Society because my father passed away from cancer. But to be honest, I, I don't actually donate too much to charity. I like to donate to organizations that are charitable by nature. Um, so, you know, for instance, like in the very early days of Google, Google was philanthropic, right? Being able to democratize the world's information. YouTube was very philanthropic, right? And so I prefer to have institutions like that, that run like true businesses, right? But also have an incredibly pure mission. Uh, and as you know, very well, millennials and generation Z are demanding this sort of purity from the companies they care about. So you're increasingly seeing a lot, whether it's Warby Parker's of the world or, or the boxes of the world. Um, sort of have that sensibility. Generation, Generation Z. Z. Now you're really making me feel old. <laughs> they're so they're so old now too. They're all like 16. Oh um, my god! And they all work at Google. <laughs> Bing, la- answer. Fi- finish the sentence for me. I'm Bing Chen. I'm so money, so money because <laughs> you're gonna hate me for this. Uh, because I'm taking this interview without pants on. You don't have pants on? I'm so sorry. I, I was going to, but then I had to rush because – Oh, my God. You're really, awesome. I'm so sorry. I, I read that you laugh you, – you gave a quote somewhere that was like, what's like your your trademark or something? You have a very interesting laugh. <laughs> yeah. It, have, people say it's a suffocating lion. A which, suffocating lion, which I was hoping you would display for us on the interview. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> suffocating lion. I guess I wasn't funny enough. Oh, no, no. You're very funny. I'm, I'm trying to temper it. They, there was a running joke at YouTube that uh, you always know where Bing is in the building because you can hear him from a mile away. Or uh, he doesn't have his pants on. And, and he didn't have his pants on. Uh, <laughs> oh. Hey, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, my lady. Um, it was a pleasure getting to know you and congratulations. Well-deserved. And um, you're going to hopefully – hopefully you will be president one day. It would be nice to vote for someone like you. It would be a nice – you know, change of pace. We'll see. We'll see if they make him put pants on. We'll see. <laughs> Bing, have a great, uh, have a great rest of your year. You too. You too. Thanks again. If you'd like to learn more about Bing, and I know you do, go to his website, bingchen.me or follow him on Twitter at bingchen. He's also on Instagram at bingchen. All this information, transcript, audio, comments available at somoneypodcast.com, all for free. And there you can also ask me a question or send in a comment for the Friday episode of Ask Farnoosh here on So Money. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope you're enjoying Millennial Week, and I hope your day is so much.